the message the Lord has laid on my heart uh, for us tonight is uh, the chapter that Howell read. And I want to look at Elijah here. I'm more familiar with the authorised version. I don't know what a broom tree is, but a juniper tree. Now that sounds better, doesn't it? So the poor prophet is sitting under the juniper tree in the wilderness. And look at verse 4. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Here is a man of God who is utterly dejected. Indeed, he's in such darkness that he's asking God uh, to... Uh, take him home. And it is one thing uh, to preach on this uh, as an outsider. It is quite another thing to speak on it when you have been under the juniper tree. I wonder how many of you here tonight have been in the same place as Elijah was. Isn't it encouraging that if a prophet and one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament had depression. That if we go through it, then we're in good company. Um, I'm sure it's all right for me to say this because he's written about it. Roger Carswell. Who would think that such a bubbly and winsome and lovely personality could have depression? But he's written about his struggles with depression. Isn't that encouraging? And if all I'm able to do tonight is to break the stigma, which is still in um, evangelical circles uh, concerning this whole area, uh, then I think I will have done my job. So all I want to look at tonight is how God deals with his servants. And if there is anybody here tonight who is in the same place. Maybe you haven't prayed, oh Lord, take away my life, but you know what it's like to sit under a juniper tree. Now, I don't have a juniper tree growing in the man's back garden. You don't have one growing in your garden, but you know what it's like, metaphorically speaking, to be in that condition. Well, we have a saviour who understands and our God knows our frame. And isn't that a comfort? And even if you haven't been there, isn't it important for us just to know how to deal with one another? Now, how does God deal here with his servants? Well, I'm going to state the obvious. We're not just souls. Now, thank God for the gospel, which saves our immortal souls, the spirit part. Now, it saves our bodies eventually. Uh, there is complete redemption but when we're preaching the gospel, what we're really interested in is this spiritual part, the soul. Now, I'm going to come to that later. God does deal with Elijah spiritually. But we're not just souls, are we? We're bodies. And by that, I don't just mean the flesh and blood part, the physical body. We've got a mind. What Elijah is suffering from here is mental illness. So we have emotions. Again, that's part of our body. And there is this link, which I still don't understand, between body and soul. 
So even if you've done something like, I don't know, break a leg, it can affect you spiritually, can't it? There is uh, this strange relationship between body and soul. Now, what I want to start with tonight, I've just got two points, but my first point is God deals with his servant bodily, bodily. Now, I think as evangelicals, we can be too spiritual. Now, please don't misunderstand me there. We need to emphasize the need for the soul, the soul to be saved, the soul to be nurtured. But we can sometimes so spiritualize things that we neglect the body. Um, I think there's a word for it, pietism. Uh, there were Christians in the early centuries. Uh, they were dualists. They believed that matter, the body, was evil and the spirit was good. And so they neglected their physical side. Now, we don't believe in that. We believe that God has created us bodies as well as souls and that we need to look after our bodies. And God looks after us physically as well as spiritually. I want you to understand that. Now, what does he do to Elijah? Now, in case somebody says to me, Pastor, I don't think you're very spiritual saying that. Can I quote one of the most spiritual men who ever lived? He was so spiritual, he died 29 years old. Robert Murray McShane. He burned himself out for the Lord. Now, don't you think that's great? If I could so burn like that. It doesn't matter about my body. If I just give my soul to the gospel, that's what Christianity is like. Do you know what McShane said before he died? These are his words. God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride his body. Alas, I have killed the horse, and now I cannot deliver the message. Isn't that interesting? There is no such thing as being so spiritual that you're just giving yourself to the things of the soul and not looking after the body. That is not biblical Christianity. There's a wholeness about the Bible. Uh, now then, let's look at how God here deals with Elijah. Uh, a number of things, physically. What's the first thing he did? Verse 5. As he lay and slept under a juniper tree. And we don't know how long he slept for. But the poor man was exhausted. He needed physical rest. Physical rest. Um, I've been most helped by a book that was given away in um, a conference. I think it was held in Highfields, um, Equip conference a week or so ago. There's a Christian psychiatrist, a Spaniard called, I hope I'll get his name right, Pablo Martinez. Have I got his name right? Pablo Martinez. And it's entitled, How to Look After Yourself. And he uses this illustration, which I found so helpful. The empty pool syndrome. Have you come across that, the empty pool syndrome? And think of some of those reservoirs in the Brecon Beacons in the summers we've had recently, the droughts. The water has gone down, hasn't it? It looks as if they've become empty. Well, think of your life, not just me now as a minister, giving myself uh, to you, the people, but any believer, you're giving of yourself. So you're like uh, this pool of water. So there is water going out. But if it's just water going out all the time, that pool, your life, is going to drain. 
and you're going to get burnouts. There's got to be water coming in as well. That's helpful, isn't it? If we're giving out, we're going to dry up eventually unless we're taking in. We're taking in. And poor Elijah, hadn't he been giving out? Howell mentioned, I thought, Howell, you were going to preach at one point. <laughs> I, would have let you, I would have let you do that. Uh, but on Mount Carmel, in chapter 18, hadn't Elijah challenged the false prophets, the prophets of Baal? And hadn't he uh, challenged the undecided children of Israel? That must have taken a huge amount of nervous energy. He'd been giving out. And even before that, all the years that he'd stood for the Lord in the time of drought, he was really alone, wasn't he? Uh, I know God still had uh, his people, 7,000 knees that hadn't bowed to Baal. But in terms of how Elijah felt, he was making a stand, as we say. And it seemed as if no one was standing with him. Now, that's not easy, even for a man of Elijah's caliber. He'd given out. And now he was exhausted. He who could stand before thousands and not fear for his life. In this chapter, at the threat of one person, Queen Jezebel, he falls to pieces and he runs away from the post of duty and he is sitting under his juniper tree. What has happened? He's burnt out. He's exhausted. He's weary. And so he's praying, oh God, take away my life. Is anybody here tonight too spiritual for their own good? May we remember that we've got bodies, that we need rest, and if we're going to give out, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in clubs, if we're giving out, we've got to take in as well. You know, I was so blessed over the summer... Um, it was an interesting experience going to some places, I can tell you that. But I was so blessed sitting under the Word. Don't you love sitting under the Word? Uh, oh, wasn't it great this morning? Just having the Gospel come to us. Just letting the Gospel of Jesus Christ wash over us. Don't you find that it invigorates you? It gives you something then to share with other people. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, we who are God's servants, we can't always be standing in the pulpits, giving out. I love preaching. There's nowhere else I would rather be tonight than in this pulpit. But we can't give out without taking in as well. May, may, may we as God's servants be refreshed so that we, like Moses, come down from the mount, having communed with God. I'm going beyond the body now, aren't I? <laughs> and give of what he has given to us. So there is physical rest. I've told you, haven't I, about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Those of you who haven't heard the name Dr. Martin, uh, when I became a Christian... When people were talking about Dr. Martin all the time, I thought of the boots or the shoe. Do you remember Dr. Martins? They're back in vogue now. Well, in the vestry there, there's a photo of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He 
he was a great man of God, one of the most powerful preachers in the 20th century. And pastors would phone him. He was a pastor's pastor. And pastors would phone him. And one pastor phoned him and he said, Doctor, doctor, I've got huge problems in my church. And do you know what Dr. Lloyd-Jones said? This pastor wanted to go and see him to have advice. Dr. Lloyd-Jones noticed that this man was exhausted. So what he said to him, take two weeks off and then come and see me. Take two weeks off. That's not spiritual, is it? Take two weeks off and then come and see me. Do you know what happened after two weeks? The huge problems disappeared because the poor man was exhausted. I like that. Um, somebody called it godliness with wellies on, you know? We, we can't be too spiritual. Sometimes, sometimes our problems are simply because we've been overdoing it and we need rest. So that, that's the first thing. Although I remember some students in Christian Union, that I think they would misuse uh, this verse to uh, justify uh, laying um, in uh, to uh, about midday. Now, that's not what it's teaching. Uh, well, what else uh, does God do? Well, this is so simple. Verse 5 again. As he lay and slept, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Again, we don't know for how long, but there's a cycle here. Resting, eating properly. Now, I didn't know our former pastor very well. I sat under his preaching, and God often spoke to me through his preaching. And I think I was quite afraid of him. Um, when I did get to meet him, I was taken aback as to how shy he, he was. He, he, he was great. He was normal. Uh, but those of you who... Uh, were helped by him, a number of you uh, said to me how often he would just give common sense advice. I, I remember one person telling me uh, they went to uh, Mr. Hyam with a spiritual problem and Mr. Hyam turned to them and looked at them and asked them, are you sleeping properly? Are you eating properly? Isn't that interesting? The body, looking after it. I'm really preaching to myself, aren't I here? <laughs> Let me read some Spurgeon. I love this quote. I'm reading from Mike Reeves's excellent book on Spurgeon and the Christian life. If you've not read this, it's well worth reading, especially his chapter on Spurgeon and depression. Spurgeon suffered from the juniper tree syndrome. And you know what Spurgeon said? And he's not just saying this to pastors. A day's breathing of fresh air upon the hills. This is Spurgeon now, the prince of preachers. Or a few hours ramble in the beech woods. Um, the oldest beech woods in the country are on the Garth. So if you want to ramble in the beech woods, go uh, to Gwylo de Garth would sweep the cobwebs out of the brain of scores of our toiling pastors who are now but half alive. Do you feel like that? I'm only half alive. Well, go out, get some fresh air. 
a mouthful of sea air or a stiff walk in the wind's face. Well, that's going to happen soon as autumn comes upon us. Would not give grace to the soul, but it would yield oxygen to the body, which is the next best thing. Isn't that brilliant? Practical godliness. And I came across this phrase. Um, it's in Latin. I'm not trying to impress you. It, it, I, I just like it. Salvitur ambulando. I'm probably not even pronouncing it right. Salvitur ambulando. Do you know what it means? The Romans said it. You solve it by walking. You solve it by walking. If you've got a huge problem, don't mull it over. Go out for a walk. Like Elijah, resting, eating, looking after his physical needs, even before coming to the spiritual parts. Apparently, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, he uh, used to conduct his business meetings when he was running Apple by doing walks. Now, what about elders on Friday? <laughs> Let, let's not meet in the manse. Steve Jobs would take people for about three hours. We could do a night walk. Isn't that interesting? God hasn't just given us his word. He speaks to us supremely in the scriptures. But God has given us other books. He's given us the book of providence. Uh, John Flavel, the Puritan, one of my favorite quotes said... Commune with God in his providences. Oh God, what are you saying to me in this particular difficulty? And then there is the book of creation. Oh, we don't just enjoy the vistas of God in the Bible. We can enjoy it in his work of creation. And I include in that the good gifts that our Father showers upon us. Um, music, art literature, and even sports, even sports. These things are given. Isn't God good commanding us to rest? What other God commands people to rest? I think that is wonderful. When you're weary to be commanded to lay down. And then there's something else. We're still on the physical here. It's difficult sometimes to disentangle the physical from the spiritual. Uh, but there's one other thing. Fellowship. As he slept under a juniper tree, an angel touched him. An angel touched him. What fellowship. Elijah wasn't alone. I know God was with him. I know God is with us. God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. But we still need one another, don't we? God doesn't save us and puts us as isolated Christians. Now, sometimes that's the case. I think Elijah was an example of that. But in more than one instance, God puts us in the family, the church, fellowship, fellowship. Do you believe in angels? I do. Um, Nathan and Yenna, uh, those of you who were on the seniors' holiday, um, you visited Nathan and Yenna in Timaur. Did, did you notice how steep the hills were there? How back of beyond it is? 
Well, Nathan shared with me when I visited a few months ago how their car kept on breaking down and that there was a need there. And I remember telling him, and I just said it as an aside, I wouldn't be surprised, I said, if the Lord lay it on somebody's hearts to provide you with a bigger car. And lo and behold, Nathan rang me the other day and said, you know what happened? God has done that. You know, I don't know if it was an angel that provided that car, but God moves in the hearts of his people. Now, you can read of preachers. Um, there's a famous occurrence of a Welsh preacher, I think in the 19th century, traveling over the Berwyn Mountains in northeast Wales in thick fog and getting into danger and crying to the Lord for help, sending an arrow prayer and suddenly meeting a man and asking for directions and the man pointing him in the right way and the preacher going that way and turning back to thank the man, finding that there was no man there. He believed an angel had been provided. Um, there's a book, um, Gleanings from the Highland Harvest, about experiences men and women of God had in the highlands of Scotland in the 18th, 19th centuries. These were robust people, uh, sound in the word, and God still ministered to them by angels. Oh, isn't it a privilege to have the fellowship of the saints, to have one another? We're, we're not a business, are we? We're a family, the family of God. I've just got one example here. William Carey, William Carey, great 19th century missionary. Do you know what William Carey loved doing? Not something I like doing, but William Carey was an avid gardener. Did you know that? A gardener. So... I haven't got much time, but God deals with his servants physically first, physically. And then there's one other thing I need to say under this heading. Look at what God does to Elijah. He gets him to open up. So Elijah uh, prays, it is enough, verse 4. And then after he's eaten and slept, God sends him to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, which is a long journey. And when he comes to Mount Horeb, God asks Elijah twice, verse 9, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then he asks him again, verse 13, what are you doing here, Elijah? God is asking the questions, and he's getting his prophet to open up. Now, isn't that interesting? Why am I saying it's interesting? Well, when I read this the other day, I realized this is CBT. Do you know what CBT is? Cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT wasn't invented in the middle of the 20th century. They had it in Elijah's day. What's cognitive behavioral therapy, you ask? It's getting you to think in the right way. Here is Elijah thinking negatively. And what God is doing is changing his thought patterns to get him to think positively. Doesn't God do that to us sometimes? Not just Elijah, but you find it in the Psalms of David. Uh, didn't Roger Carswell get us to do that in the children's talk this morning? Did you turn to the person next to you and say, I can't remember what the words were about anxiety? Now, that's CBT. What we're saying is, in nothing be anxious, 
Um, I've just written down here, you, you know, when you're going down, uh, when negativity takes over, as it's taking over Elijah, his mind is so weary, he's going on a downward trajectory, and God takes hold of him. He deals with him physically, and as part of that, he asks him the question, Elijah, what are you doing here? Think, man. That's what you've got to do. Elijah, he prayed that he might die when he was afraid to die. He's not thinking straight, is he? He's afraid that Jezebel's going to kill him. And so he's praying that he might die. How, how silly. <laughs> you know, when you find yourself thinking in that way, you say to yourself, that's stupid, that's stupid. Let, let me mention a few other things. If he was the only one left, as he's saying to the Lord, I only remain a prophet of the Lord. If he was to die, there'd be no one left. Why, Elijah? You're not thinking clear. If he was the only faithful one left, hasn't he realized that Obadiah was there? He'd met Obadiah, the prophets, and the men that Obadiah had. So God deals with him physically. I've got to hurry on to the second point, which will lead to the communion. We know, don't we? We know. It's not just the body that needs dealing with. It's the soul. Isn't that why you're here today? So that your soul is fed. And this is what happens to Elijah on Mount Horeb. Oh, I love this passage. Here is the prophet who has known God intervening in a spectacular way on Mount Carmel. That was a mighty work of God, bringing the drought to the end. Uh, causing rain to come upon the land, the prophets of Baal being destroyed. Even before then, Elijah had been involved in raising somebody to life. Mighty works of God, standing before wicked King Ahab and denouncing him, bringing God's judgment upon him. Again, something big. And here on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, Elijah is told to go out of the cave where he's hiding to meet the Lord. And we're told, aren't we, that behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Oh, I love the Lord's ways. They're inscrutable. I'm sure Elijah, as the one who'd been mightily used of God in spectacular works, was looking for God in the big things, in the earthquake, in the fire, in the whirlwind. But no. Where is God? In the still, small voice. What did the psalmist say? Be still and know that I am God. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Do you still use, young people, do you still use the word quiet time? Do, do you still call it quiet time, those of you who are older? When I was saved, Christians used to talk about quiet times. 
And do you know what they meant? Taking a Bible, reading and meditating on it, and praying. God would speak in the still, small voice. Isn't that what we long for? Even in days like these, when there's a spiritual dearth upon the land, God still speaks, doesn't he? Uh, Not audibly, but a verse sometimes stands out, and it's like a little token to hold on to, to keep us going. Oh, can I ask you, when did God last speak to you in that way? It doesn't have to be something big. It can be just a still, small voice, a prompting even. And can I say this? Elijah didn't need anything else. Once God had spoken with him, that was all right, wasn't it? Even though God says to him, Elijah, I've still got work for you to do. You've asked that I might take you. Elijah, your time hasn't come yet. I've still got mighty things for you to do. But I don't think Elijah was that bothered, either about being taken up to glory or about being used on earth. All he wanted now was to be with God. God had spoken to him, and that's all that counts in the end. My times, your times, are in his hands. It doesn't matter whether we have a little time left or whether we have many more years in this world. All that counts is that God is with us. Isn't that what you want? For God to speak, for God to envelop you with his known and felt presence. I preached in Bala many years ago. And there was an elderly couple there, John and Mary. They were in their 80s. And they invited me after the evening service for a little bite to eat in their house. It wasn't a little bite. It it, it was a feast. And most preachers, they can't eat before preaching, but they can eat... Well, they can eat an elephant, I think, after preaching, if there's such a phrase. (laughs) And they shared with me, this was fellowship, they shared with me about what happened in the summer of 49. Do you know what happened in the summer? Well, many things happened in the summer of 49. But something in particular happened to a servant of God in the summer of 49 And John wasn't around then. He lived somewhere else, but Mary was. A certain preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Do you know what happened to him in 49? He became a bit like Elijah. He got dejected. You can read about it in Ian Murray's volume two. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones was, he was about 49 years old. And he was staying, he'd had an operation, and he was staying in a nursing home in Bristol. And he was utterly down. He was probably downcast because he'd had an operation, but there were other factors playing as well. And as he was shaving, I think, you can check in Ian Murray, he had Arthur Pink's searching the scriptures as a daily reading and he just saw the word glory 
And God came by his Spirit and filled that room with his glory. And even though Lloyd-Jones was in need of physical recuperation, which he was getting, God dealt with his soul. That room shone with the glory of God. The still small voice. A few weeks after that, he was still not right. He was still recovering mentally and spiritually. And he went to stay in Park near Bala, where Mary was living at the time. And the National Eisteddfod was going on nearby, either in Bala or Dolgelle, and a team of young people, which was the Evangelical Movement of Wales, they were going to hold an evangelistic meeting like we had this morning with Roger. And they wanted Dr. Martin to preach, but he didn't feel well enough. He was still too jaded. So he refused. And one morning, again, I think, while having a quiet time, he wasn't reading the word. He was reading the Welsh hymn book. And he opened to one of the hymns of Williams Pantacellin. And he read the words, O Llevara, Advoin Yesi. Speak, I pray thee, gentle Jesus. And Jesus spoke, the still, small voice. Do you know what he said to Mary? Get on the phone with those students and tell them, I'll come, I'll preach. And do you know what he preached on? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Isn't that a bit like Elijah here? There he is at the start of our reading, utterly cast down, wanting to die under the juniper tree, bodily, exhausted, mentally as well as physically. God deals with the physical side, but that's not enough. God sends him to Horeb, and God there meets with him, the God of the still small voice, and raises him up and uses him mightily for many, many more years. God isn't finished with you yet. I don't think he's finished with me. May we, as a church, hear the still small voice of our Saviour. Don't you long for that? I want us to be honest with ourselves in terms of sharing. You know, if you're struggling, even if it's mental health issues, just say, just say. May, may, may we be there for one another, as we are, as we are. May we not be overly spiritual. May we look after ourselves bodily as well. But more than anything, may we have fresh meetings with our God and Saviour. And you know what? He surprises, doesn't he? <laughs> I said before, I'll say it again. I wouldn't wish on anybody the experience of burnout and going through a dark period. But, and this is a big but, I wouldn't give it up for the world. Because in those times, the Saviour draws near. And that's all that counts in the end. Nearer, still nearer. May that be the case.
for his name's sake. Amen.